This episode is brought to you by Auth0. That's Auth0.com. In this episode, we get to speak with Senior Developer Advocate Engineer at Auth0, Sam Julien. We get to chat about being a developer advocate and getting into tech. Welcome to Thunder Nerds. I'm Brian Hinton. And I'm Frederick Philip Von Weiss. And thank you so much for consuming the Thunder Nerds, a conversation with the people behind the technology that love what they do. And do tech good. good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'd like to thank this season's sponsor, Auth0. Do you know what's hard to set up securely? Unified login for apps. But like I said, this season's sponsor, Auth0, makes it easy because they make it uh, easy for developers to build a custom, secure, and standards-based unified login by providing authentication and authorization as a service. Uh, to try it out, go to authzero.com today. Uh, also, make sure to check out their YouTube channel, uh, youtube.com forward slash authzero. For some great developer resources, they have videos and everything from Gatsby to accessibility. Check out their Twitch channel at twitch.tv forward slash authzero. Uh, with some great live streams. Uh, one of the more recent ones I saw was on Next.js. Last, Auth0 runs Avocado Labs. It's an online destination for meetup events organized by their developer advocates. And you can find that at avocadolabs.dev. Yeah, you know, I think we know some of their uh, developer Maybe. advocates. Yeah, so uh, with that being said, why don't we go ahead and jump into our show. We have a special guest. We have instructor for Egghead and Thinkster, Google developer expert, speaker, and senior developer advocate engineer at Off Zero. Very relevant. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah, <laughs> Sam Julien. Welcome to the show, Sam. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, excellent job on the pronunciation there. Not many people get that right. Oh, really? Uh, Is that a difficult one? Yeah, most people say Julian, but it's not, that's not right. It's Julian. Yeah. Yeah. Julian. So, yeah. Great. Yeah. Kudos. Bonus points. Why, thank you. <laughs> Curtsy. <Yeah. laughs> so, Sam, again, thank you so much for joining us. Why don't we um, jump into something a little relevant? Uh, how is your current situation with the COVIDs? We're into late, uh, what are we, late August? I don't even know the, the yeah. day. Yeah, 27th. Yeah, September, yeah we're into late so. August. Yeah, how's how's it going for you? You know, it's uh, it's a mixed bag. Uh, in some ways, I feel very lucky. I'm very fortunate because I was already remote. My uh, partner is also already remote, uh, so we are. You know, we've been healthy and employed this whole time, and so I'm very very grateful for that. But we've also had other things, um, other tough situations with family members and friends and things like that, and. So, uh, you know, some, some ups and downs, um, and part, part of the downs being, be, being very isolated in the country and, you know, losing, losing family members and then not being able to actually travel and go, go be with the rest of the family and things like that. So it, it's, uh, you know, it is what it is, you know, We're, we, we, we press on. It seems everyone says everyone says that line, myself included. It is what it is. Yeah, I mean, what can yeah, you do? Yeah. It's you just gotta make the make the most make the best of it. I mean, some people yeah. have it super yeah. super hard. Some people have it less hard, but still hard. <laughs> Nobody's got yeah, it easy right now. I would say that's a difficult no, time no. for all. And I, I I find it fascinating that you're in in the midst of this. You're actually making a uh, a big move. You're moving from your current home that you've been there for what I believe I read six years and now you're moving to uh, Vancouver, Washington. Is that correct? Uh, so we, I, I've, we've only lived on the, like the small farm in rural Washington for about uh, a, almost a year and a half. Before that I was in Portland. Portland. Uh, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. I was in Portland for uh, about five years uh, and yeah. then we moved out here Um but yeah, we're moving. We're moving to Vancouver, Washington. So we're right across the river from Portland, it's sort of suburbia. 
<laughs> uh, never <laughs> thought I'd see the day that I'd be happily moving to the suburbs, but here we are. Uh, and so, <laughs> right. yeah, and it's it's great. It's going to be a great move. We're uh, we're really excited about it. Bought, bought our first house together, and it's going to be a, a really cool chapter for us. I bet you're really going to miss the farm. And, and thanks again for sending you that photo ahead of time of all the, the cats and the, the, the ducks and the birds <laughs> and chickens. It's, I, I imagine you're really going to miss that. So, yeah, there's there's uh, there's there's pros and cons to, to this lifestyle. I mean, there sure. it's been a cool uh, adventure. We've learned a lot. We've definitely, definitely grown a lot in our relationship and stuff like that. We learned a lot about chickens and uh a lot of other things floating uh, cats floating <laughs> cats yeah um so we, yeah we've we, it's been it's been a good a good time um it's just time to kind of move make the next step as a as a couple and as a family and things like that so so yeah yeah well good for you that's great i mean it's going to be uh such a, a big life change and now you, you have this and um so what what brought that on did you did you guys just want to like oh let's let, let's let's move during this pandemic like a lot of people <laughs> i know are like oh well, you know let's let's just hunker down and see what happens not not a lot of people making the uh making those kind of real estate switches yeah yeah it's funny i mean i would say the the quarantine and everything just sort of accelerated the process. Like we were, we were mm -hmm. kind of already, uh, you know, I, I don't think we ever planned on living on this property forever. Uh, and so it was sort of always a, a, on the horizon of like getting our own place and doing our own thing. Uh, but the quarantine really accelerated it because we, uh, we're really, we're really isolated out here. We're half an hour from the nearest town. Uh, and an hour from the bigger cities of Portland and Vancouver. And so there's no, I mean, there's nobody out here. There's no neighbor. I mean, we do have neighbors, but I mean, we don't, it's not like neighbors in the burbs where you're like seeing each other at the mailbox. Like you never <laughs> see your neighbors ever. <laughs> and so there's, there's nobody out here. We can, we, we can go weeks without seeing someone if we want to. So not being able to see anybody, not having the ability to see friends and family already out here uh, and then having that compounded by the quarantine and and all of that and uh, a huge factor of why we moved here in the first place was because we both um, I travel a lot for work usually Amy travels sometimes for work and so the idea was well we're close enough to Portland and, we're, and we travel a lot to where being out in the country will sort of be a welcome change and, and, mm. and it'll be broken up by all of our traveling and our work and stuff like that. And so when all of that got taken away, even though it's kind of sort of a temporary thing, it really like, it wasn't really ever part of our plan to, to do that. Um, and so it, it just sort of made us realize like that it's, it, it was time to, to get back to where we could, see people and um be closer to civilization and stuff like that so were you were you like wait where do you know we're in the country <laughs> when, you realize, when you realize that yeah yeah it's yeah so well, so did you was, not no go ahead yeah it's just it's funny because because i i travel much more than amy and and so when i couldn't travel at all <laughs> like she she's kind of been saying a lot of this for a long time and, and then when i was like after about three months of not being able to go anywhere, I was like, you know what? We're really isolated out here. And she was like, oh, <laughs> yeah. really? Yeah. Oh, you think so, huh? Like, you know. How insightful. Yeah, how insightful. Yeah, so. But speaking of traveling around a lot, uh, you're traveling around. What are you traveling around for? Perhaps for, you know, for our audience, like what, what do you do? Oh, yeah. So, um, so I'm a developer advocate for Auth0. And so... What that means is basically I teach developers, fellow developers about um, Auth0, the the software product, and then also kind of the area, the software areas around it, like uh, authentication and authorization and identity and a bunch of other complicated words that people have to look up. And I try to break it down and make <laughs> it accessible and easier to, easier to understand and 
uh, or as easy as it can be to understand. And so I, I give talks at conferences and meetups, and then I do write, I write, uh, write and uh, stream and make videos and all that stuff all around. Uh, I mean, not all of it is around identity and auth zero, but that's kind of my main bread and butter. Um, so yeah, most of my traveling is around um, speaking at conferences. And, and now you're doing a lot of virtual conferences, right? Yeah, tons and tons of virtual events. Um, it's been an, an interesting pivot to uh, a lot of online conferences, online meetups, online um, hackathons, um, streaming. Streaming is huge. I mean, it already was on the rise, and so now it's like even more so. So we've been doing a lot of experimentation on different formats. You mentioned in the ad, Avocado Labs, that's run by my two European teammates, uh, uh, Sam Ballin, uh, who we affectionately call Euro Sam, and then Anna Sidra. And uh, <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> a great uh, name. Yeah, yeah. So it's sort of a it's sort of a hybrid of a of a podcast and online meetup that they've created where they get. Uh, it really has nothing to do with Auth0 specifically. It's it's owned by us, but the we've had people like um, Cassidy Williams and Guillermo Roach and people like that. I don't know if I pronounced his name right, but um, people like that, Emma Bastian, people big in the community that are that give talks on whatever they're working on, and um, it's been a really cool thing. They the two of them have done a really good job with it. So we're experimenting with a lot of different remote content now do you feel like you're uh, almost more busy now or like bouncy around more than you you would have because i when you're traveling you have that flight time and the delay in between what you're going to like what was that been like for you yeah it's actually really it, it, it actually was a really interesting transition because we definitely do i think work more now <laughs> like not i mean it's, it's i don't know if it's like more in terms of like raw hours but just like it's it's a lot more steady whereas yeah if you're if you're traveling you have these like spikes of activity right because if you go to a conference hey it's will i love will uh if you go to a conference you're sort of working for 72 hours straight <laughs> you know and and so like because you got to go to the event you got to go to the after events you gotta you know talk to people you're you're on for 72 hours basically other than a little bit of sleep here and there and then you come home and you typically crash for a couple of days and like recuperate maybe check on some other projects that you're working on and that's sort of the typical developer advocate life and so with the switch to remote it's actually been kind of crazy because you have this like whole um combination where a lot of the a lot of the online events still require almost as much work as a regular event because you got to build a talk and record it or stream it or mm -hmm. something like that. But then you're also, of course, expected to fill your remaining time. So a lot of the projects that we had, um, typically kind of what we had was this split of maybe like 70% of our time was spent on like speaking, whether it was CFPs, call for, you know, call for papers, um, writing talks, giving talks, traveling, all of that. That was probably 70% of our time. And then we had this other 30% where we did like, um, you know, programs that we were running or, um, oh, hi, Dennis. Uh, we were just talking on Twitter. Uh, so programs, um, the streaming initiative, that was something a previous teammate had started uh, a long time ago, like two, two or three years ago. Uh, Bobby Johnson, who's now on a different team, but he's part of the live coders and all of that stuff. So all of that was sort of happening uh, on the back burner. And then when we shifted to remote uh, to to the post COVID world, it became it almost flipped entirely, but it became it sort of shake shook out as like 50 50. And so at first it was really funny because the mark, the leadership team was like, what does DevRel even do these days? And it was actually like really funny because we were going, actually, we probably are working three times as many hours right now because we're we're like always working. Um, but I think it's been really good. Like in the beginning, it was really stressful and overwhelming, but we've all kind of gotten into a really good rhythm. And I feel like this is some of the best work that our team has ever done. Like we're we're working together a lot more. We're creating a lot of things. It's, I think it's been largely positive 
Um, we all miss the in-person stuff, so I can't, we can't wait for that to get back in swing someday. But Not we've done a lot of good stuff in these six months. I want to ask you how are you how are you actually measuring success with these remote events? You know, you 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 talk about you're doing a lot more of these things. Obviously, we we need to, and you you can't do what you were doing going out to all these different locations. How are you measuring that success with with these events? What's 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 a qualifier here? Well, I mean, DevRel is notoriously difficult to measure because it's it's both quantitative and qualitative. So the <laughs> the sales teams always want to know like conversions, like how are you guys and and DevRel is not a sales job at all. And so that's always a struggle, you know, is defining like not everything ties to you know, signups for your product. That's not really what DevRel is about. So it's a combination of um, a lot of metrics. So there's, you, you have sort of the quantitative metrics of like views or signups or, um, uh, you know, number of attendees or um, what else? Things like that. And then, uh, then you have more qualitative things like, uh, relationships that you've been building or um, co-marketing efforts. That's been a huge thing for DevRel during quarantine yeah. is co-streams, co, uh, co <laughs> things like that. So we did like a, we've done a, several um, initiatives with different other SaaS platforms where we've done like a stream and an article and a, um, uh, you know, cross posting and things like that, where, uh, work together on combining. It works for us because auth zero is sort of meant it's, it's not anything you'd use in isolation. You'd always use it in conjunction with some other technology. So it makes it really easy to be like, Oh, use auth zero with next JS or, you know, whatever else. And so that, that works out. So that's another kind of qualitative metric is, um, almost like, a um, prestige factor, I guess, of, of, of different co-marketing efforts and things like that. Um, but I, you know, that stuff's hard. It's hard to talk about that because at the same time, like, uh, like the biggest, most important part of DevRel is the community and, and fostering, like, um, you know, helping other people in the community and helping them promote their work and things like that. And so the, the strategy and the metrics and all of that is sort of like how you justify your existence to the rest of the organization. But then on a daily basis, like that's not really the stuff that gets me up in the morning, you know, like I'm, I'm way more interested in like, uh, I, I, I'm sort of the, the, the main point of contact for our ambassadors program. Uh, and that's like, you know, helping other people with their careers and, and mm. helping them build their own content and all that stuff. That stuff's way more exciting than, you know, the, uh, the share of market metrics and things like that, that I'm <laughs> technically supposed to be dealing with uh, all the time, you know? Yeah, he's doing it. He's doing it. Don't worry. He might not be seeing those results or could show those to like, um, some kind of stakeholder in some chair and, uh, you know, floor 14, but you know, you could see that out in the community. It's clear when, when, when you're able to help people like that. Right. Yeah, exactly. I'm curious what it's, you published an article sometime in 2019 about, um, applying to conferences and the effort that takes, like what is different now? Like, is it, is it easier, harder? I feel like there might even be more competition in conferences because there's, it's yeah, right. kind of easier to do. So do you see any difference in that? I don't know if I'm the best person to ask about <laughs> that now, just because now, now, I mean, when I wrote that, I was still pretty new to speaking and stuff. And so yeah. I, I was still in the, in the mix of like applying and figuring, fig, figuring things out and all of that. And now, um, just, Oh, you have people I, who do it now. Well, <laughs> oh, I see. Gotcha. well, it's more just like now I get more, I get more invitations to speak than I actually apply for speaking. And so, yeah. but I, but from what I've seen, yeah, I mean, I would certainly guess that it's a lot harder now. It, I'd say it's, pro it's probably simultaneously harder and easier because it's probably mm -hmm. harder to get into the, the bigger events 
you know, the ones that are sort of the big names and things like that. But but it's also easier to get speaking gigs, period, now, just because there's so many online meetups and conferences and things like that, that uh, I feel like it's, if you have the right perspective on it, of just like not stressing about trying to get your name up on some big conference, but then, but just using this as a time to practice and get better. And, and I mean, there's, I could, I could give you a hundred online meetups that you could speak at because they're always looking for speakers. I mean, uh, (laughs) Angular Pittsburgh, PDX junior developers. (laughs) Like there's, there's like a, there's a whole host there. Not to, not to mention uh, and 100 good yeah i mean I, we could spend the whole episode talking about that i mean i just spoke at uh graphql madrid you know like i would never have that opportunity well maybe not never but i'd probably not have that opportunity normally uh it's not even in my region but like it was an online meetup you know and so so now's the time to to practice and to do those online events you know i wouldn't get discouraged about the the big conferences or things like that, because, you know, there's, there's so much. It makes sense. Well, you, you actually started back from my understanding. I'm going to look at my notes here back in 2004, you had a, or excuse me, 2014, you had a pretty big life change. Uh, I, from my understanding, you went to school for uh, religious studies and then you, you took a big move and somehow you got into coding and that's what led to you helping other people code. Do you mind talking about that journey and what that looks like? Yeah, yeah. Basically, I mean, the the nutshell version is like, so I I went to school for, I, w- I went to University of Florida and got a degree in religion. So the, the religion program at UF, I mean, it's a big public school, so it's it's an academic pursuit and it's a combination of like history and sociology. And so I, I thought I was going to go into academia and uh, be a professor and uh, write all day long and things like that. And then it, somewhere in my senior year, I realized that um, doing research all day long it was horrible. <laughs> and uh, like I, what, what I really wanted to do was some form of teaching. And so then I got into finance in order to, um, you know, make a living. <laughs> uh, I quickly realized that if I wasn't going to go into academia with a religion degree, I didn't have many options. So I started figuring out that I, I re- really enjoyed personal finance. And so I went down the road of um, trying to be- get into financial planning and things like that. And I spent about five years in finance doing um, uh, insurance and investments and things like that. I was once licensed to do insurance in like 38 states or something like that and uh yeah Uh, but as i as i went down that road i the the further i got into finance i got into finance as you know a naive 20 something thinking that i was gonna help the common person with their money and change the world and things like that and the deeper i got into 20 year 20 year olds (laughs) oh man um so idealistic and naive and (laughs) <laughs> and then the deeper I got into it, the more I realized like, oh, this is sort of a system built by rich people for rich people. And <laughs> it's not really built yeah. that way. The, the, in order to make a good living in finance, you have to, go, you, the way it's structured, you have to help wealthy people. There's just no way. I mean, it's just not meant to make to money sustain. too. Yeah. yeah. You just can't like the way, the way the structures are set up. Um, and that really killed my vibe and, and, um, Simultaneously, I, I was also uh, another um, uh, indic- indicator of my youth was that I got married really young, and um, that just sort of naturally, high TL, that uh, kind of for many reasons fell apart. And so, all of this was in like 2013. I was getting really disillusioned with finance, and then my marriage was falling apart. And so I. Um, I started looking for other things to do. And I had done a little bit of web design um, in high school and college. I had learned some HTML and CSS. And some of my coworkers at the financial company I was working with Wait, were... Um, for oh, for a while in high school, why did you learn uh, web design? What did you use it for? Um, it was just something band, that I learned. I, it was actually... Um, 
it was actually I was actually probably 12 or 13 when I first learned HTML. Um, and it was just because I had a cousin who was uh, an engineer and like encouraged me to make my first website. And okay, cool. uh, it was super rudimentary and it was just like copying and pasting and things like that. I had no <laughs> idea what I was doing, but it was enough. Um, and I had I had wanted to become a programmer, but um, I, I, I I had entered UF as a computer science major and then quickly abandoned that when I had to sign up for differential equations and physics oh. too, my second semester. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, ah, no, I don't think so, which I really regret. I wish I had just stuck it out because uh, it probably would have it probably would have been better for me in the long run to just stick with it and do computer science. But but at the time, I mean, you have to remember that was, um, you know, early 2000s, 2005 was my sophomore year of college. And there was no treehouse. There was no you. There wasn't even YouTube at that point. There wasn't um, an iPhone. There was no iPhone. There was no boot camps, there was nothing. So I just assumed that I would never become a programmer because I gave up on computer science. So um, so fast forward to 2013, and I was trying to figure out what to do with my life and um, about to have to basically reboot my entire life. And uh, my coworkers in the software department of the brokerage I was at was were saying like, uh, actually, you don't need a degree in computer science. You can go through these courses online and you can just start building things. And, um, a couple of them like really helped me out, really gave me a lot of guidance and they would, um, give me ideas of things to work on and they would do code reviews for me and, um, really like got me up and running and it was a whole different world. I, I mean that, so at that point there was things like YouTube and code Academy and Treehouse and, and I was like blown away because compared to when I was a kid or a teenager, I, I had no access to any of those things. And so I basically just devoured everything I could and uh, and just worked really hard to push through. And um, uh, eventually um, with the divorce and everything, I was I was in uh, obviously in Gainesville, Florida, where UF was. And so I just I just wanted to start everything over. And 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 so I. Uh, decided to basically go as far as I possibly could and move to Portland. And I got my first junior developer job in 2014 uh, at a financial company. And uh, and then, yeah, that the rest is history. I mean, Portland uh, ended up being a huge advantage just because of the way the Portland tech community is. And I didn't I didn't know that at the time, but uh, that's led to a lot of a lot of things for me. It's really interesting too that not only are you you know you got into this, but you're doing the uh, what is it the learn, build, teach uh, motto to where you're you know you're you're putting out a lot of these videos now, helping other people in return on uh, Thinkster and and uh, and other other uh, locations. And you also have the Egghead. what's that? Yeah. yeah, on Egghead. But you also have another site that you built, which is um, get a job in tech. Uh, and you're you're helping people out by uh, you provide you're saying this is a, a garden for you to grow post articles and to send helpful emails for people to get their first job in tech. I think that's a really interesting idea and um, learning to code, helping them become a developer. It's it's a pretty cool uh, idea. Do you mind talking a little bit more uh, about that website and how how that idea came came to be? Yeah, so I mean, I'll, I'll say, go ahead. I'll say that um, it's still pretty new. It's not there's oh okay, it, but 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 uh, the idea and and the other thing is I've I've debated about kind of folding it into my main website because I've as I've been going along, I've been figuring out that this is sort of my main uh, like passion uh, is helping helping people get into tech and especially people who don't have very many opportunities or may not have the same level of access. And just as somebody who grew up pretty squarely middle class and then um, went from making almost no money to a little bit of money and then tech money in Portland, I was like, okay, I'm like obligated to pass this on to anybody who will listen because um I mean, it totally changed the course of my life. And I, so I'm really passionate about doing that for other people as best I can, um, who may not have had some of the advantages that I've had. 
And so the the idea I've got with this get a job in tech thing is um, is really just like the the most people think that or not most people, but I mean a common misconception for getting a, a job in tech is sort of like okay, I'm gonna burn through all of these tutorials like on Free Code Camp, which are phenomenal, but then I'm gonna send out a bunch of resumes and then somewhere along the line I'm gonna get a job offer and people quickly come to discover that that's not really how it works. Um, it's, first of all, it's not really a linear process like that. It's not sort of a, a matter of just like, uh, do these tutorials and send out some resumes and get a job offer. It's it's not really like that. There's actually kind of a systematic approach that you have to take of constantly getting feedback and getting like, having accountability to like drive you to keep getting things done and uh, things like that. And so, that what I what I've been puzzling over is how to help how to be that. So like one of the people that I worked with at the financial company, his name was Josh. Um, he's he's now a principal architect at a financial company, and he he was like kind of my earliest mentor. And he would tell me what to do. <laughs> like he would just say like go build this thing for me. <laughs> he would review my code. I still ask him questions. We're on a, a Slack channel together. And I still ask him questions all the time. And he's just so good at explaining things and like uh, supporting me and things like that. So I kind of was like, I wish, you know, if I had not had somebody like Josh in my life, there's no, there's like a 0% chance that I would be sitting here because it's not as easy as just like, oh, I do some tutorials and I get a job. Like getting into tech is hard. It's really hard. It's hard even if you have a lot of like socioeconomic advantages or, or, uh, a good work ethic or things like that. And so I was always kind of thinking like, how can I be Josh to other people? And I had the opportunity at my last job, I did end up mentoring somebody who was like a business analyst. We became really good friends and he ended up getting a junior developer job. And that was like a, like a big light bulb moment for me of like, whoa, this is the coolest thing I've ever been part of because all of a sudden his entire trajectory changed you know like his entire universe changed because he got this massive raise and now he's in this other industry and he's got this like whole path ahead of him and i'm not saying that's all because of me i just was the i mean he did all the work i just like you know answered questions for him and gave him accountability and you know uh gave him encouragement when he wanted to give up and things like that and so that's like the missing key that that people don't have and it's not something you can just summarize in an ebook or put in a video course as valuable i mean those things are super valuable but like it's almost like mentoring as a service that i'm trying to figure out <laughs> and so the, yeah, the, that's the fair. earliest iteration that i'm trying to that i've been coming up with is just through emails and and things like that um but it's it's still i'm still noodling over it and if people have if people have ideas on that or want to contribute or something like that. I'm more than willing. I, but basically what I've been, what I've kind of been doing is channeling some of that into the Auth0 ambassadors program. Uh, and so then I'm going to kind of take those lessons that I've learned and feed it back into this, get a job in tech idea. Um, so that's, that's kind of where I'm at with it. Yeah. One thing, one thing I've noticed in the industry and it keeps coming up every, it seems like every year it cycles and comes back again is the interview process and the, the, uh, things like whiteboarding and that, that has to occur and all the tests and the, and knowing what, what to do and, <laughs> and understanding all that stuff. And yeah, I've had back and forth discussions with a few of my, my, my friends about how it'd be nice if there was a central, like repository of all of the different companies uh, providing like, these are the questions we might ask. Um, and, and that would make it easier for people to pre prepare because it's unrealistic, I think, for um, a company to just expect them to be able to answer all these questions. Everyone looks at Stack Overflow. Everyone Googles. No one knows everything. Um, yeah. What are your thoughts on that? Just on the on the interview process in general? or Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it is really hard. I mean, I'll, I'll be honest, like I, I am still, I feel like I've been trying to learn data structures and algorithms for the entire <laughs> time that I've been here and, uh, Go whiteboard I, it. I still don't feel very confident, you know, and, and 
uh, I've, I've read some good books along the way and done some good practice problems and stuff like that. But it is a really, it is a hard problem because on the, I, people like to, um, dump on, on the whiteboard interview, but it does serve a purpose. I mean, it, Oh yeah. You know, it, it it's, it's not the best method, but it, there is a purpose to it. And so trying to help people get through that and, uh, but I, I don't know, you know, it's, it's multifaceted. Sometimes, sometimes it's better. I, I think, I kind of think for junior positions, whiteboarding isn't that useful because most of a junior position is learning and learning to be like learning how to debug and learning how to go from the very um, unrealistic world of tutorials and boot camps to then production code and getting thrown into like ancient code and SQL databases that you're, you have no idea what's going on. And like, that's part of, that's part of the process. Like you're not even, unless you're like coming straight from a, a computer science program, like you're not really thinking of in terms of data structures and algorithms and things like that. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah. I was going to give a shout out to Basker anyway, because uh, he's one of, probably one of our most active ambassadors and just an all around nice person and runs, uh, some meetups in Ohio, but yeah, he's right. you you really, uh, end up working a lot on fixing buttons and pushing pixels around and <laughs> yeah. things like that. And so it doesn't really match. Whereas like, if you go into like more of a mid-level or senior level or architecture job, then you're going to be doing a lot more of that thinking in terms of like, especially analyzing, like, the efficiency of what you're coding or like, um, you know, you start thinking in terms of like, do I really need to hit the database this many times? Or like, what's an efficient way to do this that doesn't take up a lot of memory? Or what if a whole bunch of people hit this, hit this endpoint at the same time? Like, those are things you don't really need to think about when you're first getting started, because you have enough to worry about just learning how to like use Git and uh, use uh, uh, like agile and, and like all of that stuff. Like, uh, yeah, so I, I think maybe we just need a better interview process for juniors and more willingness to hire new people and train them. <laughs> yeah, I, th I think sometimes those those whiteboard sessions or where you're hovering over somebody to, to watch what they do. You were talking about, uh, Brian, where, you know, everybody's looking this stuff up. I think uh, sometimes it's it's about how well you can Google, how, how well you can actually look these things up how how fast can you look these things up and and solve some of these problems right would would you say that's fair oh yeah i mean you're definitely i mean and and what's what's great about that is that like that never stops you know like you're constantly yeah, doing yeah. That. So, <laughs> yeah so like that's you're you're learning like the most important Go skill, like, which is like you could fix a button todd <laughs> nice <laughs> yeah like you're trying to learn you're trying to learn how to learn when you're a junior developer you know you're 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 going, you're transitioning from a tutorial is telling me what to do or a bootcamp instructor is telling me what to do to like, here's a problem that needs to be solved. And there is no like quick and easy answer. You have to research it and figure it out and piece it together through the internet and through talking to people and things like that. Yeah. I What, what about the, the concept of having a central location or a company's like partnering up, which is probably not very realistic, but I, I feel like it would be incredible if you want to, you know, apply GitHub or GitLab or Auth0 or any company um, and could look at that up and be like, oh, I want to go to be this engineer. What are, what type of interview questions do they ask? Uh, I mean, do you think like Auth0 itself could be open to some concept like that? Uh, I mean, I don't know if you can answer that question, but um, yeah, I mean, concept yeah, I in general. I don't know, but isn't, uh, I feel like, so there's a site called interviewing.io and I'm pretty sure that's oh, like yeah. kind of what they do because they do like mock interviews with, uh, people from companies. I haven't done one yet, but I definitely, I, it seems like a great thing to practice, you know? Um, but yeah, I, I feel like is that a paid service because I'm, think, I'm seeing it as like, a I think it paid. is a paid, I think you pay by the interview. I think you get like one for free yeah. and then, uh, you get, uh, 
you, you, you pay by the interview or something like that. But, uh, there's a lot, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of resources out there on interviewing and whiteboarding and all of that stuff. And a lot of, even like, um, what's the big one, uh, that everybody talks about, um, it escapes me. Uh, but, but a lot of those pull directly from people anonymously re giving reporting in like interview questions and things like that. Oh, you mean like uh, Glassdoor, one of those? Um, uh, no, one of the algorithm practice sites that I can't remember. Oh, right. <laughs> um, okay. But, hmm. but a lot of them pull directly from um, people giving them tips on interview questions they had um, or, or like variations of them, basically. Just as long as people aren't still asking that thing, like how many golf balls can you fit in the blah, 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 like those uh, BS questions. Yeah. It's all yeah. about if two trains are, are going in opposite <laughs> directions, <laughs> one train is going 60 miles. Yeah. Or, or, My favorite one, I, I literally got, I remember uh, one place where I got flown to for an interview and they asked me, um, the first question somebody came in to ask me was, if you could be any superhero, who would you be and why? And I remember just thinking like, <laughs> can, can, can we just talk about the job and <laughs> talk about the real things? Like, like, you know, I know you want to get to know me. We could do that. We, you know, we could, you know, blah, 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 but you know, is that really the first question you have for me? <laughs> I my I got one. Mine was, um, if what type of animal would you be if you could, if you're an animal? What kind, I, what kind know, of animal, Brian? I mean, I think what they're looking for is like your personality type. But I would pick penguin because I love penguins. They're cute and they're you know penguins. So <laughs> if you find yourself it, to be a cute penguin, I get it. I do. I, I do. Can, I, uh, can, I can penguin. see it. I can see it. Not gonna lie, not gonna lie, Sam. You do a lot of these um, uh, learning things. Not only are you doing the the one site where you're trying to help people get a job in tech. Um, for for example, people like uh, Todd Libby. If if you want to check him out, he needs a job. It's uh, Todd <laughs> T O D D L dot Dev. He needs a job. Somebody please give Todd a job. He's a very excellent human being. But if you you do a lot of things like you're doing uh, Thinkster and uh, what what's the other one uh, the Egghead.io yeah. like so where are you finding the time to do those are are those as uh, very much just like things that you do on there and then you have your own tutorials that you're putting out as well. Um, yeah, it's, it's kind clones. of all of, all of the above. I mean, it's clones. It, Interesting. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I yeah, I uh, I kind of do all of it all the time like uh it started because i made a big course about this big problem in angular about moving between versions and i did that with um a friend who built the platform and another friend who did the marketing and then that led to things like thinkster and egghead and so i i create some content for auth zero and then i do the rest as like my side hustle if you will um i my side gig and making videos is probably one of my favorite things i really like making complex things like uh uh i don't like tutorials that are hand wavy and just sort of say like yeah and then you just kind of do some things over here and all of a sudden it works like i like to dig into the details and and piece together like why something works and why we do it some that way and so that's that's the approach I tend to take, and I, I find a lot, there are a lot of different approaches. Um, so like Thinkster has different a different style than Egghead, and they're both good for different reasons. And so I like to do kind of all of it. <laughs> yeah, you also have um, some uh, JavaScript videos that you're putting out um, for um, for Angular. I, I know Angular is a big thing for you. You're also very much into Gatsby. Um, what, what's really your outside of obviously off to zero? What's what's kind of your your passion that you're you're really uh, into these days? I mean, I'm just sort of a, always like a full stack developer. I just like I, I I always go back to wanting to do full stack stuff. Like at my previous jobs, it was um, C sharp on the back end, and then 
you know, JavaScript stuff on the front end. And so, um, you know, nowadays I'm doing more like Node and GraphQL stuff on the back end and then Angular and React. And um, I actually have to learn Vue and Svelte because of some internal tooling that we're doing. Uh, so kind of all of those things. I, I, I'm sort of a generalist, I guess. <laughs> and then right now, what I'm in the thick of is like learning AWS and uh, cloud infrastructure and stuff like that, because we use AWS a lot at Auth0 internally. And so trying to make myself more useful and uh, uh, work through some of that stuff. And so I guess I'm just broadening my definition. The, the stack has just gotten bigger and deeper over time. Like it's like the, the, the mega stack of when like you add double AWS decker sandwich. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's like a big, one of those big Oreos. Yeah. It's just oh, like a double, double stuff, like, <laughs> double stuff, yeah. double stuff stack. Yeah. I love a good double stuff stack. I haven't had one of those in a long time, but okay. ice yeah. cold glass of milk. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so that's where'd, Sam, where'd Sam go? Be <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>, right back <laughs> for our let audio me, listeners. Let me drive half an hour to the the nearest town to get some Oreos. <laughs> oh, there's the actual reason you want it, easy accessibility to Oreos. I, I totally get it. Yeah. <laughs> you you know, um, speaking about your uh, what what you're doing with with the lessons and all that, and wanting to be uh, very much full stack, you're also one of the articles that I read recently. You were talking about how how do you stay um, relevant, up to date with all this technology that that that's coming out and going around while you're being a, a, a an advocate. You know, you're trying to advocate these things, but you're not so much in in, in the thick of it all the time. Do, do you mind uh, jumping into that a little bit? Yeah, the the so I I wrote an article recently about building a learning system, and then I actually had the opportunity to turn that into a talk for PDX Junior Developers. Shout out to PDX Junior Developers, um, and so I'm gonna I'm gonna start I'm gonna refine that talk more and give it at some other places, um, but the there's a there's a really strong parallel between when you're first learning to code and when you're a developer advocate in that you have to learn a lot but you also have this challenge of trying to stay relevant in the real world like the hardest i think one of the hardest challenges of developer relations is like you it's tempting to just constantly chase like new shiny technology and and get uh, as many likes and clicks and shares as possible but you're not really you're you're only kind of making yourself a better engineer when you do that. And so you need to balance that with real world problems. Like I it hit me when I was at I was at a conference um at some point, I don't remember when, but I was at a conference and somebody came up to me with like a really gnarly question and I knew the answer. Um, but it occurred to me like the only reason I knew the answer was because I had done real production code, you know, like I, I hadn't touched anything that complicated since I moved over into developer relations. And so that kind of freaked me out because I was like, wait a second, how am I going to make sure that I can keep doing like, you know, the, the stuff that got me here in the first place, I need to be able to keep going with. And so, so I've been building out this like strategy of trying to constantly like get feedback and learn in public and try to um uh get a good you can you can kind of substitute your own experience with other people's experience and survey a lot of people and learn from a variety of different sources and things like that it's really i mean it's a really academic approach it's, it's it comes from being in an academic field before and so um yeah so it's um trying to build this kind of learning system for myself where I can move quickly between subjects and have some way of measuring whether it's still what I'm learning is relevant in the real world. That's a partially what led me into AWS um, is that that whole process. Yeah, because it's interesting how you a lot of the things that you have to acquire in your your new gig is um, that you know a lot of marketing things, public speaking, and such like that 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 you're citing, and then sometimes you you don't get to do a lot of the things that you initially uh, loved and fell fell in love with, and that's that's why you got into this. 
Yeah, it's it's a real it's a real uh, cycle because uh, looking back, I mean, and this is something I always tell junior developers, like looking back, the times that I've grown the most as a developer or engineer or whatever you want to call it, were the times that I was doing boring, difficult things that I didn't have a choice to do. Like there was one time at my last job that I had to do, I had to build an encryption plugin for Microsoft CMS. It was either Share, it was SharePoint or CMS. I can't remember. Uh, in C Sharp. Oh no! <laughs> uh, it was horrifying. It was really difficult, and I didn't have a choice. And here's the best part: I got done with it, and uh, I, I always the whole time I thought it was a bad idea. And I got done with it and we called a consultant and the consultant said, this is a terrible idea. You shouldn't do this. So we threw away the code and never <laughs> used it again. So I spent three months like on this horrible thing that never actually ended up getting used. But I actually learned a ton. Like looking back, I was like, whoa, I had to do a lot. And I would never in a million years have picked that to do. But I learned about like encryption algorithms and I learned about this whole like architecture of plugins and like like event system and stuff like that. So I learned a bunch of stuff. And uh, I think it's it's hard. I know when I was, before I was doing DevRel stuff, I was really unhappy being in a job where I, because I felt like I never get to work on new shiny things. I, I'm always, it's just like boring and like ticket after ticket. And you don't really see the knowledge that you're accumulating because you feel like you're only building expertise in this like, either arcane or uh, like really specific set of knowledge, but you're really not. You're building skill and knowledge that's going to be applicable in other times in your career, but it's really hard to see that in the time, in, in the moment. So a lot of people come to me and they're like, ah, oh, I want to do De DevRel. Like, it's so cool. You get to learn all these new things. And like, that is true, but that I'm not necessarily like becoming any better at my development skills than you are in your nine to five developer job, you know, like it's, they're two different things and, and, and both are valuable and you have to make the most of both of them in order to grow, you know, growth is a choice. It's not something that you just luck into Couple of questions in the chat. Did we do, should we get to those or do we want to get to those? Oh yeah. Later? You know what? I think oh, we have we another, another question in the chat too. Yeah, uh, we could, yeah. We could definitely go into some of these. So here you go. So the biggest shift in DevRel today is that all companies now don't want to only sell their stuff in their talk, but in general, advocate for the technologies. Do you want to speak to that a little bit? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I definitely agree. Like it, it's developers. I mean, and I, I, I'm the same way. Like we can smell sales a, a mile away. Like we don't like to be sold to. Uh, and so we don't like to just have somebody uh, Kramer their way into the room and start talking about uh, some new service that they can buy. And so what's important is talking about like why the the product exists and the surrounding technologies and things like that. So that's why like, you know, talking about auth and things like that, like I want to help nudge people to the point where they're like, uh, where they understand the need for something like Auth0 or, or a similar service rather than I don't need to just like bust into the room and start talking about the product. I, I, I'm very much against being like a shill for a, a company. Like I, <laughs> I, I, I really <laughs> like Auth0 because it's actually a legitimately good product that helps people build things. You know, like I, I, I don't want to be the guy who's just like a walking billboard for a corporate overlord or something you know like <laughs> I, I like the leadership of odd zero and i like the product and that's why i do it you know <laughs> and then let's uh brian if you want to read this question from todd yeah todd asks are there parts of the full stack that you would focus on rather than move to all the moving parts and shiny new stuff that comes out um so I, i'm not i don't know if i fully understand the question but I will say that I, I, I really like the, I, I, I tend to like like the middle of the stack. I, I like the, um, I like building APIs and I like translating an API into a UI and, and figuring out where in the system things should go. And so I'm pretty happy with that stuff. Like 
the newer shiny i think i feel like the newer shiny stuff tends to be about making things faster or improving developer ergonomics and um those are fun <clears throat> and and there's definitely like performance is really important but i tend to i just really like kind of the the concept of like building a like a complicated back end that then has a nice shiny elegant front end and it doesn't really matter what the technology is necessarily some are better like some are easier to use or more fun to use than others but i like that that process nice i believe we got through all of our user questions and we're we're just about out of time unless there was one other i might have missed you anybody see anything no i think we got everything so uh Two last questions that we want to uh, make sure that we cover here is first and foremost, how do people find out more about you? Where where should they go? The main source is just samjuline.com. I put everything there, all of my writing or links to talks, all of my like videos, everything is there. Um, I have a email list that I, I do there and um, I kind of consider it like a, digital campfire of like talking to people and just like talking to them about what's on my mind and what I'm learning and things like that. Um, and then, yeah, for more real time communication, Twitter is a good way to reach me just at Sam Juline. I also, I stream on Twitch. I'm just not, um, I'll probably stream on Twitch a lot more moving to the city and having like nice, fast <laughs> internet. Uh, I've been pretty sporadic about it out here just because it's like, uh, uh, not the greatest setup. Um, but yeah, Twitch mm -hmm. is just also every I'm everywhere. I'm just at Sam Julian. So Twitch, Twitter, all of those things, but the, the website is the main like point of contact. The hub. And the, the hub. last question that we like to ask our guests are, do you have any final words of wisdom that you could bestow upon the audience? I think, I think the biggest thing is to be, even though we kind of have to constantly strive to be better, I would say to take the time to appreciate where you're at and where you're like the good parts of your journey. I realized probably over the last, I don't know, maybe the last year or so, like I, I always do this thing where I get really down on myself about where I'm at and how I'm not where I want to be and things like that. And I've learned that, um, objectively that's just not true like if i look back on progress over the years like i really have made a lot of progress and i think it's important for people to take the time to stop and think like yeah maybe you don't have like x or y but you know what what are like measurable like objective signs of progress that you've made like whether it's in tech or career or like your health or your family or things like that like it's really important to take some time to like celebrate your wins and where you're at and progress you've made. And not everything is about like increasing your production levels and increasing your uh, salary and things like that. I mean, obviously if you're getting your first job, that's pretty important, but you know um, I would say just to relax a little more and, and um, be kind to yourself in those areas. Well, well said. Uh, well, thank you very much for joining us. I really appreciate your time. I mean, I always say to, to guests, like time is the most precious thing we have. And for you to share with us, uh, thank you very much. Yeah, yeah thank you thank for you. having me. It's an honor, yeah. Thank, thank you so much, Sam. Really, really appreciate it. Um, yeah, uh, this was great. Yeah, So thanks guys and everybody and, and else. Thank, yeah, exactly. Thank you everybody for joining us. Really appreciate it. We'll see you next time. Take care from the Thunder Bear. Thanks everybody. Bye, all. Thanks for consuming the Thunder Nerds. We honestly and sincerely appreciate you watching and or listening to the show. Please subscribe on YouTube and iTunes. Write us review. Take a few stars our way. And above all else, please remember to send your favorite book suggestions to Brian Hinton. I, I like romance novels. They have happy endings. Oh man, I am rude. I am, I am rude. <laughs> oh, I guess no one's watching. That's shocking. <laughs> exactly. I love Frederick. I 
love Frederick. I love Frederick. I love Frederick. I should have known the Terrator didn't mean us any harm when the Sword of Omens didn't obey me. And anyway, it was just plain stupid to assume it might be bad. Just what the <laughs> fuck am I talking about?